He goes to his first pre-planning meeting or replanning meeting at the end of the first day, you know, girded for battle like he always has been, and is quickly shocked to his core. Nobody was yelling. Everybody got to complete their sentences. And even weirder, people from different teams were actually listening to each other and learning together, thinking through things together. Some people actually acknowledged someone else's good idea and even yielded some time to another experiment team. Halfway through the cruise, he realized he had never seen such outstanding science being done at sea. I am the only person to have walked in space and gone to the deepest point in the ocean. Hi, I'm Kathy Sullivan, and I'm an explorer. Exploring doesn't always have to involve going to some remote or exotic place. It simply requires your commitment to put curiosity into action. So join me on this podcast journey as I reflect on lessons learned from life so far and from my brilliant and ever inquisitive guests. We'll explore together in this very moment from right where you are. Spaceship not required. Welcome to Kathy Sullivan Explores. Before we take off, I have a gift for you. I believe that no matter where you are today, an active thirst for knowledge will help unlock your ability to live a life of meaning and happiness. So I'm sharing some lessons I've learned on my road less traveled. Over at KathySullivanExplores.com, you'll find my seven astronaut tips to improving your life on Earth. When you sign up, I'll send them to you and also make sure you're the first to discover future podcast episodes and learn more about exciting adventures ahead. Just head on over to KathySullivanExplores.com. If you're a frequent listener to this podcast, you'll know many of my interviews and short solos touch on leadership and culture. Solos in episode 17, 36, and 54, for example, or my interviews with Janet Cavandi, Nancy Zimfer, Charlie Bolden, and Renal Eshelman. I thought today I would share my very favorite story about two contrasting styles of leadership, one the competitive and agonistic, the other the collaborative and appreciative. This story comes from a longtime friend and colleague, John. John's about seven years older than me, and he's also an oceanographer. He's a large, big teddy bear of a man, a bit bulky, little chubby, frankly, white hair, white beard, great grin on his face, typical professor's thick spectacles. He was quite a senior faculty member at a prestigious institution when he told me this tale. You know, the life of an oceanographer is going out to sea to collect data. That's what everything centers on. And research ships are essentially timeshare facilities. Multiple teams of investigators will usually be aboard the same vessel, sharing the ship's time and equipment to do their pieces of work. So you have to decide where the ship will be and when in order to collect the data that each study needs. Some things certainly can be done at the same time, but that's not always the case. So cruise planning is essentially a series of negotiations around all these points, usually led by the expedition's chief scientist and involving each group's principal investigator. And this big cruise planning event that happens before you set out is repeated in miniature at the end of each day at sea to take stock of how the day turned out and factor that into the next day's plan. John hated these meetings. They were hand-to-hand combat sessions. Everyone would be yelling and shouting over each other, slinging insults. I mean, they're fighting for every little sliver of time. 
He shouldn't get that much time. His science is crap, and his gear always breaks. Let me have the ship then. They would thrash through a long day, just berating each other left, right. And then, of course, they'd wrap it up and go out for beer together as if nothing had happened. This just didn't fit John as a personality. He absolutely detested it. But he was proud of the outstanding scientific results that came back from the cruises that he was on. And so he figured, well, that competitive mano a mano combat, that's the price you have to pay for excellence. As he got more senior and became a, a dean in his institution, he was able to send some more junior colleagues to the combat planning sessions, just join them out at sea for one or two legs of the cruise. And eventually the day came that he went out to sea on a cruise he had not been involved in planning, and the chief scientist was a woman. He goes to his first pre-planning meeting or replanning meeting at the end of the first day, you know, girded for battle like he always has been, and is quickly shocked to his core. Nobody was yelling. Everybody got to complete their sentences. And even weirder, People from different teams were actually listening to each other and learning together, thinking through things together. Some people actually acknowledged someone else's good idea and even yielded some time to another experiment team. Halfway through the cruise, he realized he had never seen such outstanding science being done at sea. The punchline that he told me that evening, the punchline of the story, has really stayed with me. Until that cruise, he had only seen one way of achieving excellence, that combative way, challenging and insulting each other and steel-on-steel kind of thing. So if I had told him I wanted to go out on a cruise with him, but I couldn't stand the fighting, he would have felt that I was asking him to lower his standards and settle for poor results. That first female-led cruise taught him that a radically different style of leadership could produce results as good and even better than the combative style he was used to. I think this is a pretty big insight in a culture that prizes competition as the very best, if not the only way, to get the best out of people. The warrior mentality. Steel hardened steel, as I said. That may be one way, but I believe it is far from the only way. And I think it is often, or at least sometimes, exactly the wrong style if you really want the best your people can offer. For some people, too harsh or stressful a style will shut them down, talented and capable though they may be. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying challenge and pressure are altogether bad. But a notion I learned while researching my book on generative leadership and education is that there is such a thing as just scared enough. Just scared enough is a sweet spot for learning and performance based on how our brains work. Enough stimulus or stress that is all of our mental circuits firing, all on high alert, ready to engage, ready to respond. But not so stressed, not so scared that we fall into survival response mode, which is typically very myopic and single channel. So there are two elements here. How intense the stimulation is and how personally threatening it feels to the recipient, regardless of what the messenger may have intended. You've probably dealt with a variety of leadership styles in your life. Which ones brought the best out in you? Is your leadership style a default? Are you honing how you communicate and lead to improve performance while looking after the mental health of your people? 
Did you ever wonder how your team talks about you behind closed doors? Food for thought. Thanks so much for joining me on today's mission. For more solo shows and deep dives with incredible guests, along with all the ways to get the podcast and much more, head over to kathysullivanexplores.com.